This is the game World Cup 2022. Today we react to what was an incredible World Cup final as Lionel Messi finally gets his hands on the World Cup trophy. Argentina lift it for a third time after a three-all draw with France. We will answer the question as to whether Lionel Messi is now truly the GOAT, whether the baby GOAT Kylian Mbappe has now taken over the mantle after his hat-trick in the final, and we'll react to the news that Gareth Southgate will be staying on as England manager. We'll also give our thoughts on the World Cup as a whole. All that and more coming on the game. Hello, welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wizencroft alongside Gregor Robertson and Alison Rudd reacting to an incredible World Cup final which Argentina won to lift their third global crown. It saw Lionel Messi finally achieve that group, that dream, of course, of winning a World Cup and it was, like I say, one of the best World Cup finals we have seen. So much drama at the Lucel Stadium in Qatar. Of course, it went to Argentina after the shootout 4-2 a game that finished 2-all in normal time with the Argentines having led 2-0, of course. Ended up 3-all after extra time. Argentina were ahead very briefly during that period. And it was a game which had just about everything, to be perfectly honest. So many people just saying what an incredible game it was. So we will reflect on that over the next 45 minutes or so. We'll also talk about Gareth Southgate's future with England. Let's start by reflecting on the game. Because, you know, I could start with what it means, what it means for Messi, what it means for Argentina. We could go into the context of the World Cup as a whole, but a game was so good that we have to start there, don't we? Alison, I'll start with you. What did you make of it right from the off? What did you, you know, you saw Argentina go two goals up, score a couple of cracking goals. What were your thoughts about that early part of the game? My main thought was, oh dear, that flu virus has gotten to the French and what's Deschamps doing playing players that clearly aren't fully fit and how on earth can plus you've got Giroud with a a knock and I'm thinking they're playing as a caricature of France in everything we've said over the weeks of the podcast we've identified France as a team that don't care if they don't have much possession and they don't care if they don't play beautiful football they invite teams to come at them and Argentina said, okay, we will, and we will score goals. And there was no response. And you felt that had to be purely down to the illness that had swept through the squad and the team not being balanced in reflection of that. They were also being um, outnumbered in midfield. So you thought, oh, this, how, I mean, if it is to do with the inability to play players at their peak, how do you, if you're Deschamps, how do you respond to this? You can't you can't administer them lemsips whilst they're playing. So what's he going to do? But somehow, somehow, I think they allowed themselves to believe that only being two down it could have been worse. And it just needed something to go in their favour. And suddenly, it looked to me like if you're feeling under the weather and you get a burst of adrenaline, you completely forget that you're under the weather. And it was like they all, as one, decided, actually, we've, we've, we've weathered a lot. It's only 2-0. We're back in the game now. We will, we can find something. So I think it was sort of psychological and the impact of adrenaline. And of course, Mbappé just suddenly sparking into life, where I think most households around the country were saying, poof, poof. Mbappe, he was built up. He's nothing, is he? What about him? Where is, what's he doing? Not doing anything. But when he when he did spark life, he was um, unbelievable. 
And then from that moment on, it was completely, completely in the balance. Even before they got their second goal, I felt, you know, ah, now we're going to see something more unpredictable and it could go either way. So that, but that all that is guesswork because I can't believe for one minute that Deschamps planned it to be that way. That you, you, I mean, there was a stat came on the screen where they'd had zero, it was after about 70 minutes, they'd had zero, never mind shots, they just had zero efforts. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was like, really? What do you, are you not aware that you're going to have to go forward at some point? But, you know, once they got that spark, it was, um, that then it became then it became a great final. The reason it it was a good game before that was because I think we saw one of the games of the tournament that slick one touch passing from Argentina. Um, it was that was rather beautiful and emotional. There was times during this game where, especially with Argentina two up, it wasn't a particularly great match. It's, hindsight is a fantastic thing until France burst into life and began to play late on in the second half there was a considerable period where Argentina had some breaks they could have extended their lead but aside from that as Alison just pointed out France offered absolutely nothing it certainly wasn't the end-to-end game that we got for much of the, the final stages of the 90 minutes and a lot of the uh, period of extra time so what changed other than Kylian Mbappe's greatness to bring France back into it and what did you make of like I say, that, that period where Argentina got themselves in front, because I think you and I were both talking about how there were both sides that were happy to absorb pressure. I, I always felt the first half an hour was going to be key. And when Argentina went two goals up, I genuinely felt the game was over. And they, they didn't really exhibit any of that, that power to absorb pressure in this game. And it, they showed us a lot more going forward. Uh, certainly Argentina did than we'd seen previously as well. Yeah, I think it's actually hard to rationalise or <laughs> or explain much about this game because as you say, I, I can't remember a game having kind of the balance of power swinging so dramatically and so unexpectedly on so many occasions in, a, in one match and as you say, I, I completely agree with you, I could not see France coming back, I don't know, you know, you're expecting there's some be going to be some kind of big story coming out about how many, you know, how they underplayed this virus in the camp and yeah even to see Giroud and, and Dembele taken off before half time, you know, that's that's pretty remarkable mm. in a World Cup final. And then there was a moment and the, there was a period in the in the second half where when Deschamps started to make more changes and I was thinking, This is truly bizarre. Like Deschamps I think it kind of underlined how how fine a line there is between being seen as a kind of clueless fool and a tactical mastermind because Deschamps was put on Camavinga at left back. Mm. Uh, he took off Griezmann and he threw on a player from Eintracht Frankfurt. Colo Moani. Um, Moani, yes. Mm. Who, you know, a few of us would think he'd be, he'd be the next person to throw on in that moment. And, and he was outstanding. And even actually after the subs were made, you were still there was still a period where, you know, they just had... Four four attackers up the pitch, Kamavinka left back, and two in midfield. And you're thinking, I, I understand he has to go for it, but this is this is wild. And then suddenly, certain players stepped up, like Kingsley, Kingsley Coleman was outstanding for a period of about 20 minutes in that second half. Muani was excellent, even when Fofana came on and mm. in extra, just for extra time. You know what what he did was he threw on young, hungry, fit, athletic players who in that that moment 
they just did the fundamentals, the basics that you need of football that France were miles off in in the first half, which is running around, trying to press, trying to win tackles and looking like they had energy and desire to win the World Cup. That was completely absent in the first half. And who knows, there might still be something coming. You know, we've, There might still be a story about mm. about the extent to which that virus impacted them because they were miles off it. No one could have predicted how bad France were in the first half. Um, and you have to give Argentina credit. Like Some of their performances in the first half were, 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 were magnificent. Di Maria was, like, like Messi, rolled back, rolled back the years. Uh, I thought Christian Romero, the way he kind of flew into some tackles... Some real niggle. I think it was uh, De Paul on on Rabio in the first few minutes. Left one on him twice. You could just see that they were they were the team who were really up for it. And look, we could talk about tactics and the genius of Messi and Mbappe, but without those fundamental basics that you need in football, which is effort, desire, and willingness to compete, they're not going to win. Mm. And it took France so long to find those basic attributes, and when they did. My God, they flew back into the game and you thought, wow. You thought they were going to be the team who were going to win it in extra time. It was yeah, remarkable. Yeah. So again, it's just so many unexpected swings. And when the goals arrived, it's like a sucker punch. You're thinking, it was just breathless, epic stuff. Mm. Amazing. I think there was a long period where you thought France aren't showing up to the party. And ultimately, they did Absolutely. arrive. They just arrived too late, to be honest. I actually think had they won the World Cup, it almost would have been unfair. Is not necessarily the right word, but... Um, I certainly think Argentina, in in terms of the balance of play over 120 minutes, were fitting winners of the World Cup. I don't think France did enough, despite scoring three goals. Two of them, of course, from the penalty spot and then a fantastic goal from Kylian Mbappe. We'll come to Kylian Mbappe a little bit later on. But, let's but th- Hugh, yeah. if France had won the penalty shooter, I yeah. think we'd all be talking about how amazing French resilience is and also tactical genius Deschamps is. Um, And it was the greatest ever World Cup triumph, given that they clearly were rubbish, rubbish for for, for for fitness and numbers. (laughs) And and on top of the fact that they arrived in Qatar missing some, you know, world-class, world-famous players, you would... It's all very well saying with hindsight, oh, you know, no, but, the, team but, that gave us, the, the team that gave us more nice football for longer deserved to win. But to if they had, France had won it, we would be absolutely hats off. But we wouldn't say they played better. They we, we wouldn't be saying they played better. No, they but I'll straight that we would say all the same things that we've said for many, many after many of these games about the resilience and finding a way to win, finding a way to get through, finding a way to drag themselves back into the game. We would have said all those same things. So ultimately, as like I said at the start, I honestly don't think you can rationalise this. The fi- the margins were so fine. And, you know, crikey, when Muani ran through it at the end, at the death, almost the last kick, and it, and Martinez saved it with his feet. Great like save. There, there, there we go. That's how that's how fine the margins are between being world world champions and not. Yeah. So Poor finish, uh, great Fra- save. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but France, look... France absolutely were shocking for a good hour, and then they did show all those things that we we know they have, and we also we also saw again their their kind of depth. We spoke about before the game. So although some of these are like young players, kind of emerging stars, they're still remarkably talented. And again, France's pool of talent is is the best in the world. So it was I I can't really criticise France or Deschamps. I thought I was going to be able to. I guess I say after about an hour, but. 
he threw on players that made a difference and it almost it almost worked. No, but I, I think there'll be a huge what if, which is what if we actually played with intensity from the start of the game? What could but have they happened? they couldn't. They clearly couldn't. Yeah, there was something wrong there. I, really? I just don't... I just don't you know... I, I, no one chooses to play that way, Hugh. They just lacked the... Well, listen, you can play badly. Not every team has a great game every time they go out there. We're not forgetting the fact that we were saying the last two games, France weren't that good that they came through. They weren't that good against England. They weren't that good in the semi-final, but they won it. You know, Morocco had much of the, the quality in that game and dominated for large periods. So just because they scored three goals in the World Cup final, remember, it, it you know, it wasn't like they were playing everyone off the park on their way through to the World Cup final. This was very different to those previous matches, though. I I agree with you. They they were often outclassed and then won, but this was something else. This was this was peculiar. Mm, okay, I just I just don't think they were at it, to be perfectly honest. But maybe Greg is right, and there will be stories written about why they were what thirty percent off off where they needed to be in terms of a World Cup final. As we saw, Argentina were absolutely at it. They fully deserved to be two goals ahead, including a brilliant goal on the break, uh, finished uh, by Angel Di Maria, and yeah, it was created beautifully. But the final ball from Alexis McAllister of Brighton to put him in for that goal. I, I, like I said, I genuinely thought game over and if they win it based on their first half an hour then they deserve it to be perfectly honest because I thought they were that good obviously I did not expect the tide to turn so dramatically and it was weird because I was talking with friends during the game about the World Cup and, and look everyone knows I'm a football snob I enjoyed the drama of the game as you all know I do not like to see errors you know, particularly avoidable ones. So the penalty decisions, or rather the the decisions of the players to give away the penalties that they gave away for me was very sloppy. And I do not enjoy those things, despite the fact that they added drama to the World Cup final. Uh, I think Otamendi, one of them was that right? And um, the other one from Dembele. I mean, come on. The handball, maybe I'll slightly excuse. But those two in a World Cup final, I know there's pressure, but Lord, please. I mean... Dembele had had a really... Had a nightmare. I mean, his first touch, I think, went straight out of play, and he was, you know, he was supposed, to, he was expected to kind of to help out Jules Koundé and and Argentina doing that left in the first half were just running riot. And as you say, like, I mean, he's he's a winger, but he was sold a dummy, and then he desperately tried to make up for it. And it look, it was still as another one that was fine margins. You you looked at you watching, you thought, is that a penalty? Is that a penalty? And then there was one kind of magnified that camera angle that showed that he clipped his calf and he. Sort of rested his hand on his shoulder. Mm. It was a penalty, mm. but he was off it. I mean, you know, there were stories about him delivering the 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 lamb sips and stuff before the mm. <laughs> what was it, <laughs> honey and lemon tea or something told yeah. the, told the yeah. players before the game. Maybe he needed to have one himself. Yeah, yeah. And so those things, I, I still think it was a very entertaining match. I was desperate for it to be almost the perfect game. And, and look, that's never going to happen, is it? I think what we got is, in terms of drama, in terms of interest for the neutrals in particular, I mean, I can't imagine being a France or Argentina fan where your your heart is after that because it must have been, you know, in, in the pit of your stomach several times during that, particularly the, the penalties. Emmy Martinez of Aston Villa getting into the head of those France players, making one save, making another player miss. I thought it was hilarious, actually, the way he picked up the ball, walked to the side of the goal, rolled it away. Um, surprised he didn't get a yellow card, but in terms of what we've seen so far in this World Cup, I mean... He did get, he did get a yellow card. Oh, did he? I yeah, didn't he think he got booked. booked for that. Oh, I didn't think he, he got I don't booked think he got for booked for that. He got booked for something 
very soon afterwards. Oh, I see. I see. Look, I, did, did... I did make me wonder if he got two yellows, what would happen. Exactly. Listen, and no referee wants to be in that situation, but um, it worked. So, Emmy Martinez, we love S. Housery on this podcast and we commend you. We commend your celebration with the Golden Glove. No one has ever shown it such reverence previously. <laughs> and that was one of the moments of the World Cup. Lionel Messi getting up there in a bisht, you know, sporting, if you like a traditional dress to lift the World Cup. Strangest thing I've ever seen. Some yeah, people odd. some people loved it. I, I, I kind of didn't like it because I was like, well, it's his moment and it's his nation's moment. I mean, it's kind of weird to say you should wear our garb to celebrate and lift the World Cup, but there you go. Yeah, but it looked like a negligee and I don't think I'll ever recover from that sight. I mean, this is it. He's going to go down as one of the legendary players of all time, if not the greatest, and the images of him lifting the World Cup, those great images of Maradona being lifted above his teammates in front of his home nation and grasping onto the World Cup. And we won't remember this moment as clearly as we're remembering it now. It was just less than an hour ago. But we will in, in you know, in decades in the future go, what is he wearing? But yeah, look, there were loads of funny moments at this World Cup. There were loads of special moments to cling on to as well, I should say. Now, four of the last World Cup finals have gone to extra time. That is as many as in the previous 16 finals, which is quite remarkable. Lionel Messi wins the golden ball for the second time. Argentina winning the World Cup for a third time, as we know. Um, It's been a long time, 36 years since they last won it. 1978 and 1986, of course. Italy have had a longer gap, the only team to have a longer gap. They waited from 1938 to 1982 between two of their World Cups. There were more goals scored at this tournament than any other World Cup, which is one that I wanted to pick up on. This World Cup as a whole, now it's done and dusted. Before I come back to Messi, and I will come back to Messi and Mbappe, how great was this World Cup for you in terms of the football, the drama, the spectacle, Alison? Okay, well, first of all, it's a tainted World Cup, and I think we can all agree that it shouldn't have gone there. But if we're just going to stick to purely the football, I did find it hugely enjoyable. I don't think, though, that we are we were watching the best football in the world or the best form of the game in the world. I think it's a very peculiar thing, the World Cup finals. And it's, I, don't, I, don't dis, I don't detract from it for being that, that but that is what it is. I... I mean, I wrote a column today saying, you know, I want <laughs> which club sides that we all know very well in the Premier League or indeed the good ones in the Championship might have notched up a few victories or beaten some of the front runners in this World Cup. Because you're you're seeing, and particularly at this World Cup, because there was so little preparation time, I I did feel a lot of the, the, the fact there were lots of goals and it was fun was down to the fact that a lot of, players didn't play that well really there were lots of mistakes which leads to goals and there was unpredictableness because people didn't know what to make of the uh, air-conditioned stadiums and so on and probably not had time to prepare for each you know there was one game after another and you're having to completely reassess what you're going to do for the next opponent I just felt a lot of teams weren't quite ready but what you did see which was amazing was what compensated for all of that was uh, a lot of passion team spirit um some very good coaching in terms of just making the most of what you can do within within the 90 minutes 
so it's I don't feel like I've watched the best football I've ever watched in my life but I do like the fact that teams that I would not have expected to shine like Morocco I mean they are the story of the World Cup let's face it and Croatia too to a degree given how small they are you think wow what is it what does that say about or just about the human spirit and what patriotism means and a collective psyche and desire. And I just think that is what you're watching. You're watching something other than the usual football. But I don't think, I don't think I've just watched the best football I will ever watch this year, <laughs> which is, <laughs> but if you think about it, go on, if, if I'd be really, really keen for one of you to argue that we just have watched the best football we'll ever see this year. There's a difference between the best football and the most entertaining football. I always make this argument about the championship. People have <laughs> often written things after some dizzying night in the championship, like the final day when everyone's racing for the playoffs or whatever, saying that it's the most entertaining league in the world. And people say, come on, behave. I say, well, no, it's not the best league in the world, but it's it's the most entertaining. And I know that's me getting carried away. I'm not saying this is the most entertaining football. It's the most entertaining international tournament I think I've seen. Yes. And I know I'm not. Look, I'm I'm uh, I'm 38. People go back a little bit further and they talk about great Brazil teams and great West Germany teams. All these kind of. Uh, I don't remember that. Um, I've seen footage, but I've I've sat through 62 of the 64 games in just over a month the only day I missed was because it was my girlfriend's birthday and I'm still really quite bitter about it because it was uh, the Netherlands Argentina and uh, Brazil Croatia in the, in the, in the quarterfinals mm. so mm. I went back and watched them but they're the only <laughs> games I missed live and I was like, scrolling my phone from time to time anyway not too bitter but there were only a couple of days in the early in the early kind of stages of the the group stage you know, where there was a few nil-nils and you were thinking of oh, four games in a day, this was tough. Yeah. But there's only been a couple of those days. There's always been some hugely entertaining games. Think back to Cameroon, Serbia. Any game Canada played in, to be brutally honest, I really, really loved watching. As Alison said, Morocco, the shocks of Japan, the shock of Saudi Arabia, seeing giant, you know, huge football nations like Germany and Spain go out. I, I think it's been brilliant. I think it's been the most entertaining. And Alison might be right. You know, the... There's been some pretty kamikaze defending. There's been it's not necessarily the kind of the pinnacle of 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 football in terms of its, the standard, and that's undoubtedly the Champions League. But for entertainment and for something that's a bit different and it's still unique. And as Alison alluded to there, there's something about that's pretty special and unique about players playing for the country and and patriotism, and that's that creates a different type of drama. And I've absolutely loved it. I think one of the important things for this World Cup was that there was no prep time and it was, if you like, the most even World Cup that we've seen from the best team to the worst team, I think. Um, there wasn't, there weren't glaring gaps. We weren't seeing teams from, if you like, Asia or, you know, Arab teams, um, you know, getting smashed. You know, right, we saw Costa Rica lose 7-0, we saw Iran concede 6, and that's always going to happen regardless of the, the team on the losing end. But there used to be bankers. You know, there would be teams that would concede 4 in every game that they played. That didn't happen this time around. But equally, the top teams never hit the heights. I said to my mates at the start of the game, as it kicked off, I said, I, I will probably remember this for the, as being the World Cup where I don't think any team was great. And we started reminiscing about World Cup winning teams of the past. In fact, some World Cup finalists, losers of the past. 
and we were just marvelling at how great we thought those teams were. And yeah, Gregor, we were, okay, we're a similar age, but my mate said, oh, do you remember the World Cup final in 1998 and what we thought about Brazil and France? Both of those two teams, whoever had won it, just one to 11. You know, my mate was like, and he did, he was like, I can name both of those starting teams. And we were just marvelling over the quality that was on show in, in those games, in, not necessarily in those games, but from both of those teams in, in that tournament. And there, are, there have been far better. Equally, there have been bad. I always talk about Italy in 2006. There have been bad World Cup winners before. But actually, I just don't think there was... This is how I summed it up. There is no team at this tournament that I think wow about. That, that was the way that I summed it up. There isn't a single team that I say I think wow I like, that, you, that, I like I like that you framed that slightly differently because to say there's not a you know there's no team that were great. I'd prefer to say there's no team that didn't have flaws. Yeah, exactly like, that. You're right. Exactly you're that. Right. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're right. You're you're right. I mean, there were flashes of in Brazil. There was flashes. No, the, what this was is there were the why wow moments came from individuals mm. overwhelmingly. Mm, mm. Although you know you, there's been some great team goals again. Remember, think back to Serbia's goal. I think it was Mitrovic finished it off against Cameroon. Mm. Argentina second tonight. It was a magnificent move. The way that Molina kind of played a first-time ball into midfield, McAllister in the corner, Messi again around the corner, and then they were off and running. That was brilliant and very hard to defend against. But I think you're right. I think that the wow moments have largely come from individuals rather than thinking, looking at one team and saying, wow, this is a, a well-rounded kind of extraordinary team. It's been, you know, even the finalists were two teams that were largely kind of dragged there by two individuals and they and those two individuals had a great say in the final yeah, as well so yeah. that that was the story of this world cup i think i think if you were to do a compilation of um i don't know the 12 best goals from the last eight to ten world cups and compare them with this year there wouldn't be as many really good goals from this year's world cup the drama has come from the storylines mm. and the drama and the timing of goals and the, the big reputations being shattered. It's There really aren't that many goals where you think, oh, I want to watch all that. I, mean, I, I wouldn't want to watch a compilation of this year's <laughs> goals because I don't I don't think that I, I, there won't be that many that, that there are that are, you know, wow, magnificent. But the the emotion and the surprise element has been greater, I think, this year than possibly ever before I mean I wasn't around for Uruguay's win but maybe that was great at the time I don't know it's just absolutely killed my secret Santa for Alison there pre-ordered best goals of the World <laughs> Cup Qatar 2022 it, it comes in a couple of days I'll have to think of something completely new let's talk about those two extraordinary individuals I think it, it bears discussing Lionel Messi, who has won now everything, basically. Everything he could have laid his hands on, he has now got. And um, it was an incredibly emotional moment for him. The way that he dropped to his knees after that final penalty was scored and he was embraced by his teammates and seeing him call his family down and and kissing his children, you know, he has, I think one of the things that puts players into a different echelon, if you like, and the thing that took Maradona into a new plane is performing under the pressure. And I think Messi and this Argentina team, he was under more pressure. We all knew it 
because of the time frame, what is going to happen with his career, might end up at, at Inter Miami, certainly may now retire from international football and start to just enjoy himself a little bit. But also the fact that with all due respect to the rest of the Argentina team, I mean, it was messy or bust in most of their games. I mean, he really did carry this team, certainly to that final. I think it was a, the best team performance we saw from Argentina was in, in this game. They conceded three. So um, I still think Messi delivered the key moments for them. But now we, we have to ask the question whether he will be seen as the greatest player of all time. I think it's quite revisionist for some. And I also think it is very age dependent for others in that most of the people saying the argument is over. Lionel Messi is the greatest player of all time were born in 1989. You know, it's it's just like, it's it's kind of that thing. Like the people that watched Pele when they were youngsters say it's him. And the people that watched Maradona and those incredible scenes from his World Cup say that it's him. Cristiano Ronaldo is the GOAT for many, many of the younger football fans, if you like, who've been so involved in the last 20 years. So, uh, and there are others that could be on that list, depending on where you are from in the world and what football you, you have seen. But certainly Messi now has to be in the conversation alongside most people's top two, Pelé and Maradona. And and today, for a lot of people, puts him well above Cristiano Ronaldo, even though I've argued on this podcast, I think that being from Portugal, it would have been very difficult for Ronaldo to ever lift this trophy. But I wonder what you guys think about where Messi now sits in terms of his legacy in football. Will we reflect on him when he retires as being the greatest player we ever saw? I think he's the most consistently beautiful player I've seen and that's got nothing to do with what he's won it's just it so happens he's been fit for long enough and played with big teams and won lots of stuff and now won the world cup whilst playing beautiful football I mean it's mesmeric what he can do on the ball and he hasn't played like that at this world cup this is the this is the old mature version of Messi where it's it's been more about what he can see rather than how long he can run with with the ball at his feet. It's, it's an individual preference, isn't it? Do you what sort of football do you like to watch? Um, Ronaldo offers something completely different stylistically, but you know the math shows he's he's a phenomenon. And like you say, if you haven't watched a regular diet of someone like Pele or Maradona, then you're just relying on news footage and you're not really able to say how you would have felt if you'd watched them all the time. So in terms of someone I've watched a lot, then he is the most watchable and therefore, and most gifted. I think there's something about what he can do that you sort of think, oh, you know, where do you, where does that come from? That is, that is absolutely special. What a gift, absolute gift. I actually thought he held himself together really well in this final. I also feel if De Maria hadn't been fit, then Argentina wouldn't have won. They wouldn't have got their two-goal lead. And we'd be talking about what a shame for Lionel Messi. So I don't I don't even know that he was man of the match. I know you said he was a critical component, but I think for the time he was on the pitch, De Maria was the most important player for Argentina. I mean, I think he's... He's undoubtedly the best of his generation and any generation. The only, I was going to say, kind of with the exception of Maradona's because 
I think it's now between it's between him and Maradona, and people can talk about Pele, but I think the f- football was a different sport then. It seems to me from watching footage of football in that 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 period. I don't think it mattered whether he won this World Cup or not. I agree with Alison in that regard. I think that he's 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 played extraordinary football and been a phenomenon for what is extraordinary too is that he's done it for two decades. You know, I heard Gary Lineker talking about that. Who who you know, who who has seen played against Maradona. You know, he's done he's basically done it Maradona had a peak of maybe nine or ten years, I think, and Messi's now had getting close to getting close to two decades worth. And he's just won the World Cup, dragged his team to to victory in the World Cup at the end of it almost, which is extraordinary. So look his place is was already guaranteed in the in that kind of pantheon of the best players ever to have played the game. I know everyone these days seems to want to f- to have to place a a title on it as, as the greatest. You know, is he the goat? All I can say is, in in my lifetime, he's he's the best player I've ever seen. He is. I think there's a kind of group, a consensus that he's as good as anyone else that's ever played the game as well. Really. So, and again, as as Alison has said, there it's often on what you feel about what you feel watching a player and what what your kind of taste is as well. As you know, as, you know, so, as Alison said, some people like Ronaldo because he's such a he's like a machine, whereas Messi is like an artist, and he like, just again in this final tonight, he just came alive in moments when and kind of those little mesmeric little one twos he does around the penalty box, and you know, just little he's dribbling with a ball and he just lays it off and and takes it back again in an instant, and it's it's very peak when he was with Barcelona, like. Oh. They were all kind of it was almost like telepathy, and he would do that. They would do it in a little flurry, and it was dizzying, and there was no way defenders could deal with it. There's been moments where Argentina have got close to doing it. There's been a couple of goals. Australia comes to mind where it's kind of slightly clunkily <laughs> worked, and that he's managed to do those little given goes around the box and dribbles through what looked like a thicket of players that you'll never be able to get through. But he's done it enough and done it uh, in occasions that kind of I don't know dragged Argentina forward and raised the kind of the energy in the team and if it didn't always lead to a goal it led to it built momentum so I think he's he's been an absolute joy to watch in this tournament and look he's as I say all I can say is the best in my lifetime would he would but would Argentina have won if De Maria hadn't played that's a difficult question to answer I mean it's obvious obvious no well no I think I I said to my friend when I was watching this I I think De Maria is lucky to start Mm. I don't think Dimitri has been good in this competition. And I no, think, just but, in this final, just in the final, he completely well, I know, I, tormented I Dembele. He did, he did. But I would, have, you know, I thought Paredes was unlucky not to play. And I think as well from a from a standpoint, a start point where you're looking at a kind of solid foundation and midfielders who can cover left and right when you've got two rapid wingers. I thought that would have been a good a good choice, but this absolutely worked. And of course, he was a huge part of of uh, Argentina's win but I think it's very hard to say they wouldn't have won without him I think they what they've managed to do is find a way to to break break down an opponent when they've when they've, when they've the other thing is Argentina have always improved when they've been in front I think we've said this quite quite often throughout the tournament once they've scored you've seen a better version of Argentina look the goal came from a from winning a penalty kick and that could have happened from any any player, mm. so undoubtedly he was he was hugely important. But I think it's a bit much to say they wouldn't have won without Di Maria. I mean, but we also we we look everyone that's won the World Cup as great a player as they are. It's still a team sport, and you do need your teammates to do something in the, in the game, and some of them to play well if you're going to win a World Cup final. And 
you know, Pele, Maradona, you know, the likes of Zidane that have won World Cups, you know, fantastic players down the years that have lifted the trophy. It's still, you know, degrees of a team effort. It's still a team effort. And Di Maria has been a great player in his career. So we may be, you know, less so than him playing well in the in the final. We probably expected him to play better sooner, you know, in all reality, because we know he's a pretty good player. And, um, I, you know, maybe his tournament played into some of what we've remarked about on, on other episodes about how Argentina weren't where we thought they would be, you know, in this tournament. You know, there are many players that may be underperformed. Ultimately... They got the job done. They they won the World Cup final. I don't think, as much as I say it's a team game, and the reason that I reflect on Messi's impact is not about the final. It's about the tournament as a whole and why it will be remembered as Messi's World Cup because I don't think they get through most of the games that they get through. I don't. I, they might not have even got out of the group if it wasn't for Lionel Messi's impact and influence on their general play, but also the big moments in which he delivered at this World Cup. I'll remain, you know, like I've said previously, you know, the penalty, the number of penalties Argentina got was interesting. You know, I'm not, you know, I could keep a conspiracy theorist thread going through all of our episodes. You know, more penalties tonight. Who knows? Um, (laughs) But, um, but I do, I do think as much as I criticised them earlier in the competition, they did deserve to win the World Cup because of the solidity that they showed, you know, throughout the knockout stages and you can only play the opponents that you have. You don't have to, and I've said this about England, you don't have to play your opponent off the park to, to win the tie and go through. And I think, you know, again, not to bring it back to England, but again, they are one of the teams that is a lesson because that aggression, that work rate that they showed, particularly in the first half, was an important factor in some of the shocks that we saw from some of the underdog teams at this World Cup. The teams that went further than we thought they were going to go, the likes of Japan, the likes of Morocco, and some of the big teams. And and look, all the arguments, and we'll talk about a little bit later on, about Gareth Southgate and his future and, and why England haven't been as good. They don't necessarily have to be that good to win a World Cup, you know? And I think maybe um, some teams will change their thinking around what will deliver them this big trophy in the future. Lionel Messi, in my opinion, is right up there, goes into the top three. We can have the argument. He is top three selected. If you don't think he's a top three player, I just, um, I, I, we can't, we can't continue. We can't be friends. If you don't think Messi is in the top three of all time, okay, if you're seven years old and you just started listening to this podcast, then welcome. I can tell you now that Lionel Messi is in the top three. And, and look, in the course of time, you're going to tell me, you know, that Kylian Mbappe is because who knows, over the next 15 years, we are going to see a player who enters that argument because he scored a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Kylian Mbappe was the reason that France had a chance, always had a chance throughout this tournament and certainly had a chance in this final. Um, Sad to see a player score a hat-trick and not lift the trophy ultimately. He's already scored, I think, 12 World Cup goals, which is absolutely remarkable. He's 23 years old. He's already won it played in another final, which he's obviously lost today, could go down as the greatest World Cup player of all time if he continues on this trend, scored a fantastic goal, held his nerve from the penalty spot on three occasions if you include the shootout. Couldn't have done much more, but you know, to answer that question in terms of the baton being passed, did we see that tonight? We saw Messi get to lift the trophy, but we saw another player put in the kind of, you know, if you like, deliver the kind of special moments that we could see 
you know, every four years or every couple of years, if you include the Euros, for the next decade? Is he is he the next chosen one, Alison? Oh, we definitely, we definitely saw the two finest players were eligible to play at the World Cup in the final. So in that was really neat, wasn't it? I mean, that's that's a real well wrapped present under the tree. That's that's been done very neatly. That you had them and you had them both on the stage at the end, one with the golden boot and one with the golden ball as the best player of the tournament and you think yeah you know <laughs> that's a very neat story isn't it with a neat ending and for i think guitar fact... too. for guitar as well oh absolutely well absolutely absolutely um there were lots of hugs weren't there with with the uh, dignitaries who seem to know them all very well but yeah so you saw you saw them on the stage and i mean mbappe I'm probably reading too much into it, but I thought he looked well cheesed, well cheesed off to be <laughs> to be to be holding the golden boot in such circumstances. And the dissonance of that must have been really great. And there's he's definitely got a hunger, and we all know he's very ambitious and demanding. And I don't think he had, even though he um, he scored three goals, uh, which is statistically remarkable to do that in the final he did that whilst playing in a team that were sluggish and something was wrong and he he didn't have what it took to change it until the very end of of the first map period of the match proper he he will i think there'll be a lot of france players thinking what if what if but he will even though he he won the golden boot and everyone said he played really well i mean i've seen him named as man of the match on various outlets. He could have done more and he'll know that. And the fact that, my point is, the fact that we all know he could have done more means that he probably will go on to dominate. In, in, in as much as we like to focus on individuals, he will go on to dominate the headlines because I feel like he should have done more, he could have done more and he will do more. I think uh, one other thing that was when I was thinking it was so some of uh, Deschamps changes and choices uh, were pretty bizarre just before they turned out to be uh, master strokes yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> shows, shows what I know um, one of one was putting Mbappe through the middle yeah I, th- I felt like the same when they brought off Giroud you know when they did that against against Morocco it had a completely different dynamic. Morocco were chasing the game, but France were chasing the game at this point. Mm. And they had playing against a defence that was sitting sitting in, happy to absorb the pressure that we knew they would. And so why, what, what benefit do you have having Mbappe playing up against, you know, through the middle, up against a deep-line defence? So when he, when he sprung into action in the second half, or towards the end of the second half, it was again when he drifted wide left and he, he started to open up his legs or he started to play little one-twos like he did for his go- for the goal. I mean, crikey, again, he, he nearly he nearly scored a winner right at the death when he ran inside and he, he twisted up Romero and then cut inside and he, yeah. he just took one touch too many. Yeah, should have just you know, smashed it. <laughs> yeah, but he was hit, by the end, he was in full flow. Mm. And he was shackled, although there was 40 minutes before Giroud was taken off and he did very little in that time because France were massively on the back foot. But, you know, for a, for a good period of that, the central chunk of the game, he was playing through the middle against a deep line defence and there wasn't much he was able to do. I've got to say, Mbappe was fantastic. He will go on to special things. He already has produced special things at World Cups, a hat-trick in a final. But the all-round France performance, 
even with the comeback, as I said earlier on, I still think Argentina deserved the victory. I always felt if it went to penalties, they would win. We know Emmy Martinez is a bit of a specialist, but also, you know, in terms of actual quality penalty takers that have been left on the pitch for France, there weren't many. So in that regard, I always felt, look, if they didn't score again, Argentina were going to win the game. Martinez got his special moment. Messi got his special moment. World Cup winners from Aston Villa and Brighton. And in the end, I think a good tournament, which we spoke about the issues off the field. Um, I think everyone has spoken about the issues off the field. Probably, in my opinion, not as much as we, we could have. Something for me to personally to reflect on. Certainly other broadcasters from the United Kingdom will, I'm sure, I hope. But also internally, in terms of what goes on in our country, things for us to think about and talk about as well. That was the Qatar. Well, actually, I'm glad you brought that up, Hugh, because oh, okay. there was an absolute cringeworthy moment on the ITV coverage oh. where Gary Neville was... I'm, I'm unfortunately, about... unfortunately I, I work for that company, so be gentle. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean, forgetting the hypocrisy of Gary Neville, forget. let's just put that to one side for a minute. He was asked about the staging of the World Cup and the controversy of it being in Qatar. And he said, well, let's just remember what our government are doing, stigmatising nurses and people who go on strike. It was, It was completely the wrong moment, the wrong place, and rather ignorant of him to try and compare the things, <laughs> what's happened in Qatar with what happens here. We all know it's very easy to say no country is perfect. And he's missing the point completely, which is that if you choose to go to a country which um, has a certain stance on g- gay rights, for example, well, that's that's probably down to money changing hands and alleged corruption. But there are many, many, many cultures that are different to ours and we have to be careful about how we judge them. The point is that the awarding of the World Cup to Qatar caused deaths and that would not have happened in most other countries if they'd been given it. And that is not something you could say that would have happened if it had gone to England. There would have been you know, thousands of migrant worker deaths. It's it's not comparable. And it was it was it was such a crass moment. I I'd been watching that um build up and I switched to BBC because it just annoyed me so much. You must love adverts to have been watching ITV, I've got to say. No, I, I wanted to I wanted to get a flavour for both sides. I see, okay. I, I, I think ITV have actually upped their game in this. They're very good. They are very I can say that they are an excellent broadcaster, Alison. You're right. Gregor, I, look, Alison's up. I think she hit the nail on the head there, and I actually think we got a small. You know, we, we kind of joked a bit about the start at the start about Messi being draped in the in the black bisht, but it was a kind of a reminder of of the desperation of FIFA. You saw Infantino kind of, you know, always wanting to be centre attention there, you know, almost arm in arm with Messi all the way with the World Cup and the Emir of Qatar there. It's like he's kind of almost looked a bit shocked that he wasn't going to be. The one to one to lift the World Cup, like I don't know. I just think that even that one moment, just like a small reminder that this this was a sham, and ultimately, FIFA are the ones to blame here. FIFA, you know, football is in in a real mess in terms of its governance with with uh, with FIFA and Gianni Infantino, and I think just that you know. That one moment where you saw, you expect, you were, we were all kind of desperate and, and hoping and really keen to see this iconic moment 
in football of Messi lifting the World Cup and still in that one moment it was tried to be kind of owned owned by Qatar and FIFA were standing right there beside him letting that happen I thought it was utterly bizarre um, oh, it was, but yes. what happened what happened Gregor was that Infantino was leaning in with Messi and pretending that he was having to explain to him where he had to stand and he kept saying it over and again because he knew it would give him longer and longer in the shot the key shot with Messi. How long does it take to tell somebody you just moved to the middle of the celebrations? It was it was so transparently egotistical. It was horrible. But it, I think it was a reminder, and it's a final point on the podcast, that for those of us, and there are so many who say, and said at the start of this tournament, I don't want to hear about politics. For me, this is just about football. Why do you guys always make it about football or the political aspects or dynamics? Well, you know, we saw the French president out there, didn't we? We saw the Emir of Qatar. We saw that overtly visual move to put Messi in the bish, which I don't know what kind of message it was meant to send, but I think it was essentially meant to be, you know, firstly, his huge superstardom accepting this region, but also football as a whole accepting this new ground. But I think the tournament as a whole should have stood for that anyway. But again, it was just another move to, I think, project that onto fans at home, which I think for a lot of fans it didn't really work for. For others, others thought it was great, particularly people from that region. So I just should say that as well. Or people who, if you like, have relatives from that region as well, descended from that region as well, felt it was a, a great thing to see. But um, maybe we're just traditionalists. Maybe we got to get used to these kind of things. But I think a part of it was the geopolitical aspect, which we discussed beforehand, playing out in front of our eyes in terms of our imagery, in terms of how we see and project our views of, of the, the World Cup itself, Gianni Infantino, Qatar and, and hosting it. And I think Messi was used as a prop there in a way that he probably shouldn't have been because it was his moment and it was his nation's moment, really. And I'm glad, glad he took it off eventually. But again, as we kind of joked about earlier on, we will see those images time and time and time again. Um, particularly over the next few days, but certainly for years to come. Anyway, that was the Qatar World Cup 2022. Before we end this podcast, we do want to bring you some news from the, the Times and Sunday Times. Piece of news that you may have heard uh, in the last 24 hours regarding the England manager, Gareth Southgate, who we now believe, we now know, in fact, will stay until the Euros in 2024. And David Walsh has written a fantastic piece, broke the story for you about why Gareth Southgate in particular, why he has decided to stay on in this role. And David joins us now uh, on the game. Hi, David. Hi, Hugh. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. You're still out in Qatar, I can hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I feel actually one of those moments, and they don't come that often, where you're in the stadium and you think... I'm really glad that I witnessed this football game because, I mean, I went to my first World Cup in 1986 when Diego Maradona inspired Argentina to win the World Cup and and lifted a team that in many respects was quite ordinary to to the ultimate stage in world football. You know, we're talking of whatever, 36 years later, Lionel Messi has done exactly the same thing for another, I mean, a slightly more talented um, Argentina team but, but not like it, it, it again was a team inspired by its captain, by its by its superstar leader, and uh, and of course it was it 
it was an extraordinary game. I think anybody who watched it, whether whether live here in the stadium or watched it on TV, will have memories for life because that to me was had as much drama as you would ever find in any sporting arena. You know, and that in you know try go to any sport you like, and I don't think you could come up with a more dramatic sporting occasion as we were fortunate enough to have witnessed tonight. Before we get to that Southgate news, um, David, it's so interesting to hear you talk about the difference between Maradona and Messi and the two teams, if you like. We were kind of saying earlier on that, at least I was, that neither of the teams in the final, no teams at this tournament really wowed me. I am a bit of a football snob, you should know. And, And we were talking about the quality of the games. We've seen so much excitement, so many shocks. Of all the World Cups that you've been to down the years, how do you reflect on this tournament as a whole in terms of the entertainment value, I guess, is the best phrase that I can use, the quality? What do you think? Yeah, um, I would say I would say it's the, it's the best World Cup I've been at, and I've been at many. Um, I thought the group games were more interesting than I remember group games being. Now, logistically, it was an incredibly easy and comfortable World Cup to cover because you were able to stay in your, you, you, you stayed in the same room for five, for five weeks. Uh, getting to games was dead easy. Uh, the atmosphere inside the stadium, I know people at home were thinking it was a bit false or a bit dead. I actually found it, you know, enjoyable. Um, I thought the, 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 the fact that it was in, a, let's say, the Arab world and how the African teams, I hadn't expected the African teams to feel that this was like a home World Cup for them, but that's how it felt. Tunisia and Morocco, who have so many migrant workers here, they had, they had far more spectators, supporters than you'd ever see. So I, I thought this World Cup as a, as, as a World Cup in terms of the football had a lot going for it. Of course, I would say, it should never have been here in the first place, but it was. We came. I, I certainly came. I, like everybody else, I had a choice. I choose to come. I will remember it as one of the as one of the great sporting events that I've witnessed. That's what it, I mean. I was I was I was thinking you midway through the second half when this game was becoming ever more dramatic. The thought in my head was so. This is what you get when you take the World Cup to Qatar, and I laughed at the irony because we all thought we'd all suspected. It might be a kind of a disaster, and I don't believe it was. Um, I know there's different views in Europe. There are very different views in, in the Arabic world than there are in Europe. And I think uh, I'll, certainly I met a lot of fans out here from different countries. And from talking to them, it was perfectly obvious that they were having a hell of a good time. Whether that's right or relevant or whatever, that's the fact. You know, nobody will go home from this and say, I was out there, it was terrible. That's what you, that's the thing you won't hear. And, uh, and I think that should be noted. Gareth Southgate news then. Uh, we know you have a close relationship with Gareth Southgate and you broke us the news about him staying on as England manager. Tell us why he has decided to do so and your reaction to it. Well, I think there's a, a multiple reasons why he's decided that he would like to continue. I think... Probably the biggest one is that there were, he felt there has been a change in in the mood music around him and his position. He felt after the four 0 defeat to Hungary at, at, at Molyneux, you know, Wolverhampton Wanderers Stadium, that it was maybe time for him to be thinking of going. And he actually decided that he would he would stop after the World Cup. 
and was going to announce it, but then backed off that because he thought it would become a real distraction for the team if everybody was speculating on the next England manager. But he came to this World Cup. I mean, I had a long conversation with him about two weeks before he came, and he said that his expectation was that when January came, he would not be England manager. But the team came here. It performed pretty well. But more importantly than the actual performance was the reaction of most of a lot of England, who, who can say most, or a sizable amount of, of England football supporters liked what they saw in Qatar from the England team. They liked the way the team went about its business. I think 4-3-3 was a more attacking formation and people were pleased to see it. And I know that Gareth himself was surprised that a quarterfinal exit turned out to be much more pleasing to England fans than the 1-0 defeat in the Euro final to Italy. And I think that was a big factor in him deciding to stay on. I think another factor, well, I know another factor was he would be leaving at a bad time in terms of the team and the FA because there's a very short time until England begin their Euro 2024 qualification matches especially difficult starting point in Verona against Italy. So it wasn't a good time to go. And obviously, the players have all said that any player that I've seen interviewed have said they really want him to stay. And they've said it in a way that's quite unusual. They've said it in a very personal way. They've, they've kind of gone on at length about how good they think Gareth Southgate is. And I know that a number of players approached him you know, privately, as well as what they said in the media, approached him privately and said, basically, please don't go. And I think these factors have all combined to make Gareth think that, you know, it would, he'd be, it would be a bad decision to get out now. I, I concluded the piece I wrote with, he, he told me once that basically, if you take on the England manager's job, you buy into a scenario that is going to end up on an open deck bus at Trafalgar Square or the Tower of London. And if he leaves now, he doesn't get to find out which is his fate. So he, he'd, he, he'd rather not die wondering. What was also important from your piece was his family. His family are happy for him to stay. Yes, and I assume that's why he's are. done it before Christmas and not after. Yes, yes. He, he, uh, he was really surprised, Alison, how, how important the support of his family was. Because when he was going into the job, Gareth has always had this thing that he's very much a family man, loves his two kids. He and Alison have had a, always had this fantastic relationship where she kind of stays out of football and, and, and he kind of prefers it like that. And yet, when he got the England job and the tough times came, the greatest support he got was from his family. And the message he was getting from the, from the kids and from Alison is, look, stay with it. Don't give up. And, uh, and, and that, as you, you're right to point out, that played into his decision as well. David Walsh, appreciate you joining us on the Game Podcast straight after the World Cup final out in Doha. Make sure you enjoy the evening. Stay safe. Uh, really appreciate you speaking to us. Yes, thank you. you. Bye-bye. So very quickly before we round off the podcast, Alison Rudd, Gregor Robertson, your reaction to Gareth Southgate staying, is that the best thing for the English football team? It's the only thing. I can't think of an alternative that works right now. I believe strongly that the England manager should be English, not necessarily male, but certainly English, and that 
top candidates, they're not going to be ready to do that now. So what do you do? And there's only one thing Gareth Southgate needs to change. And there's a there's still a possibility that he can, which is his in-game management needs to be a bit more ruthless and a bit more imaginative. And it's perfectly possible because he has the time on his hands for him to study. Again. He said he would study after the Euros defeat. He needs to study some more and maybe add some new voices to his backroom staff. But otherwise, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, uh, look, I agree with Alison. Apart from the in-game management thing, I think that's well overblown. But I'm sure we'll have another 18 months to pour over that endlessly. (laughs) Yeah, look, he's he's, he's done a remarkable job when you consider what what he inherited. I think he's he's found a solution in terms of midfield and a balance between defence and attack. And the one thing he needs to find is a centre half. I think if he does that, you're you will once again be among among a group of teams who are capable of winning the European Championships. And I think that's enormous progress from as from despite, you know, whether you think that's where you should be, that's where you now are. I think you've always believed England have always believed that you should be among those those teams. Whether that's there's any sort of foundation for that, I, I, I'm not so sure. But you uh, you are, you now are, and that's that's largely down to Gareth Southgate. So this is good news for England. Gareth has to stay. He will be staying, and that is going to give us the best chance of winning the Euros in 18 months' time. So. We'll say it again just to end the podcast on a positive note that football is coming home. Keep believing, oh, people. God. Keep believing. Okay. <laughs> Gregor Robertson, Alison Rudd, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thanks for listening to all our podcasts. Loads of great journalism, including reports from Jonathan Northcroft, David Walsh, Henry Winter, after that incredible World Cup final to, to read right now from The Times. You can go online, thetimes.co.uk. You can download The Times app, pick yourself up a newspaper as well, because we are going to cover this World Cup final like no one else. So if you haven't read some of the great journalism yet make sure you pick it up right now we will be back with you before Christmas after the EFL Cup matches in the coming week yeah domestic football is back in just a couple of days well sorry imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details domestic football in terms of the top flight teams is back in just a couple of days and we will speak to you then so see you soon